Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Thinking Like a Bank, where we show you how to think like a bank by applying the same strategies and principles that banks use to help you find more financial freedom in your life. I'm your host, Sarah Ibrahim. With us today, I have Daniel Weisfield. He's a third-generation mobile home park investor, operating more than 40 manufactured housing communities in seven states and serving over 10,000 residents. His grandfather immigrated to the U.S., saved money by fixing cars in his backyard, and eventually bought a mobile home park. To build on that legacy, Daniel's professional mission is to churn the trailer park stereotype on its head. He believes manufactured housing is the best way to close our country's housing gap and to create affordable home ownership opportunities. Daniel has a JD MBA from Yale Law School and previously worked as a strategy consultant at McKinsey & Company and as a U.S. diplomat at the State Department. When he's not operating mobile home parks, he enjoys surfing, wilderness conservation, speaking foreign languages badly, and spending quality time with his wife and their two young kids. Daniel, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Sari. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for joining us. Uh, before we, you know, I, I guess the listeners can understand what the show is going to be about, considering it's, it's about mobile home park investments uh, mentioned in your background. Uh, but before we jump into that, do you mind sharing more about your background and how you got into the specific niche? Absolutely. Um, so I did a few different things before coming into mobile home parks. You know, I got a law degree, I got an MBA, I worked in the corporate world. Um, but at the end of the day, I come from a kind of scrappy immigrant background. Like my grandfather and my mom came to the US, my grandfather worked as a car mechanic. Um, he saved money fixing cars and he bought a mobile home park, as you mentioned in my bio. Um, and so that's really what I grew up around and I, and I saw how people who come to the US and work hard and save money can really change their financial destiny if they invest in the right real estate. You know, I saw my family went from basically poverty to the middle class and then eventually, you know, into a very comfortable position uh, as they grew their portfolio. Um, and I also knew that if I did mobile home parks, I could actually help people in a really concrete way. Right? We're providing high quality communities that our residents are proud to live in. So after doing all this, this other path kind of in the corporate world, I, I realized that I kind of wanted to come back home to mobile home parks, which was this unsexy business that my immigrant family did. Um, and so in 2017, I quit my fancy corporate job and I partnered up with my brother-in-law, my wife's brother, and we started Three Pillar Communities. And you know, I, I won't tell you the long story, but you know, the, the 10 second version is we bought a tiny first deal and I can tell you more about that and did well and bought a second one and did well and bought a third one and started hiring people. And mm -hmm. so at this point we have a $300 million portfolio. We have around 70 employees. Thank God. Um, we're in eight States and, you know, we're growing quickly. And three pillars communities. So you guys acquire um, and develop manufactured mm -hmm. homes. Is, is that correct? That's right. So let me tell you kind of the, the basic business model for mm -hmm. your listeners who might not be familiar with it. Mm -hmm. um, so the basic business that we're in as mobile home park owners is we own land and the infrastructure that's underneath it, like, you know, water pipes, sewer pipes, electrical distribution, roads. And then our residents own their own homes sitting on top of the land. And they pay us a lot rent every mm -hmm. month in order to, to rent a piece of land. Uh, and even though they're called mobile homes, these homes are not very mobile. What you should think of is think of it as a factory built home that's mm -hmm. built in a factory, trucked to a site using a special truck, 
and then installed on a semi-permanent foundation. Um, so this creates very um, steady recurring revenue, um, which is one of the reasons why we, we love the asset class. And so you ask, do, you know, what kind of deals do we do? So we buy stabilized parks. So when we say stabilized, it means fully occupied or close to fully occupied. And it just needs us to, you know, keep, keep managing it and keep, keep the trains running, right? We also buy value add properties. And in real estate, that means, you know, there's some hair on it and it needs to be mm -hmm. fixed. So um, for example, we bought value add deals that have a bunch of vacancies. We need to bring in new homes, um, failing infrastructure, roads need to be repaved, or um, neglectful owners who have failed to enforce rules and regulations. So tenants with a lot of um, junk piled up on their lawns, for mm -hmm. example, or, or tenants who uh, aren't accustomed to paying rent on time. So that's kind of the second bucket of deals we do, which is value add deals. And we roll up our sleeves and we get in there and really transform these communities. And then the third and final bucket is new park development, mm -hmm. where we will buy raw land and build a new affordable neighborhood using manufactured homes. Um, and so um, one of the, just an example that I'm really proud of is in Bozeman, Montana. Bozeman's a really hot market. In the past few years, the median home price has gone from 400,000 to 700,000 just in three years. So normal people can't afford to buy a home. Mm -hmm. And so we bought 90 acres of land, which has been you know, used as a farm for the past hundred years. Um, and we are turning that kind of pasture land into 250 new manufactured homes. And then would you, would you build the manufactured homes and then sell those? to the tenants? Yes, great question. So I am a licensed manufactured home dealer in mm -hmm. eight different states. And we have, so we work closely with our manufacturing partners. So I, I don't own the factory. Yes. But I'm a dealer for the fact, I'm, I'm a dealer for like seven or eight different factories. Mm -hmm. I work with them to design the right home for the property based on the market and the location and what our customers are gonna want. So we design the home with the factory the factory builds it for us. I then truck it to the site. I install it. I run a sales center mm -hmm. and then I sell it to the end customer. Our customer becomes a homeowner. Then they pay us that recurring lot rent. Okay. And then maybe it's like a side question, but does the tenant slash customer, do they finance the manufactured home? That's a great question. So um, historically, there has not been very good financing available for manufactured homes. Um, because um, they're not eligible for what's called a Ginnie Mae backed mortgage mm -hmm. because they're technically movable. Um, mm -hmm. So you can't get the same financing terms that you can get for a conventional single family home. Um, that being said, in the past you know, number of years, there's been more competition in the market for these manufactured homes. And so nowadays our customers can typically get a loan, you know, anywhere between six to nine percent interest mm -hmm. with a 23 year amortization and you know five to ten percent down so it's not as competitive as a mortgage for a single family home but there is financing available and in a market like bozeman you know we're building a class a community right mm -hmm. this isn't this isn't a trailer park yeah, yeah. These are really nice homes they've got granite countertops stainless steel appliances this is a community with a dog park and fire pits and walking trails and so we'll be selling new homes there in the 
250 to $350,000 range. Mm -hmm. And so we expect that almost all of our customers will have financing. Yeah. And these don't even look like mobile homes. They look like actual like houses, right? That's right. That's right. And this is, this is a way, you know, our industry has uh, grown up yeah. in the past 20, 30 years. And so that image you might have in your mind of the old, you know, single wide mobile home that looks like a sardine can, you know, made yeah. out of aluminum with a flat roof. That's not what we're doing anymore. I mean, this is not your grandma's trailer, right? These mm -hmm. have pitched roof, composite shingles on the roof, wood siding, front porch with like wood railing. Inside, they've got a gas fireplace, you know, pendant lighting. I mean, these homes are awesome. They're really nice. Yeah, and especially in like today's economy with hyperinflation and interest rates, like things are becoming more costly for people. Less people can afford these things around the country, right? There's like, there's been a, like a huge fluctuation in, in cost uh, of homes and then ownership. Like there's been a huge gap between that and manufactured homes could definitely help with that gap, which is a good that business is, model. That is exactly right. So it's a good observation. Um, we are helping to close the housing gap mm -hmm. and our target customer no longer fits into one bucket, right? So maybe 30, 40 years ago, the old trailer parks were serving, you know, blue collar workers, yep. so to speak. And that's one type of customer who we serve and we serve blue collar workers really well, you know, workforce housing. Um, but we also serve in some communities, middle-class folks, nurses and teachers and firefighters who can't afford a million dollar single family home. So they're yep. moving to a manufactured home and it's great. And we also serve a lot of retiring baby boomers who've sold the single family house, right? They, they've downsized and they're sitting on cash and they want uh, kind of a lower maintenance lifestyle. So they buy a manufactured home in a manufactured housing community. So we really are serving a lot of demographics who are all um, just can't afford a conventional home anymore or they don't want one and we provide a great option. Got it, okay. Can you, can you describe like a recent community that you acquired, like it had X amount of lots that were, that were rented out at X amount per lot, just to kind of have an idea of like um, the financing? Absolutely. Let me, um, I'll give you an example of a deal that I'm really proud of. Uh -huh. Okay. It's got a near, near and dear to my heart. And it's probably a good illustration of how we, how we do deals and how we create value as real estate investors. Mm -hmm. um, so when you hear mobile home park, do you think, Urban, suburban, or rural? Um, probably suburban. Yeah. A lot of people think suburban or rural. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of people don't know that mobile homeparks also exist in cities. Mm -hmm. um, and we bought an urban mobile home park uh, in Renton, Washington uh, in 2017. Um, Seattle. So Renton is 15 minutes from the Seattle airport, 20 minutes from downtown Seattle. Um, Seattle has had a ton of job growth, primarily from technology, like, you know, Amazon and Microsoft and those sorts of companies. Um, and as a result, housing prices have shot through the roof. Yes. And so we found a 49 unit mobile home park. Uh, it's roughly, it's on roughly four acres of land. Um, it was built in the sixties. Mm -hmm. It was called, um, Renton High Low Trailer Park, and it was neglected and dilapidated. Um, you know, unpaved or no, potholes in the roads, junk piled up on people's lawns. All the homes were these old 1960s and 1970s trailers that had like, you know, unpermitted additions, meaning like people were like 
hammering on pallets and stuff to create their own little like built on garages, kind of looked like a tree house. Um, and I think a lot of investors saw that and thought like, you know, this is a dunk. Why would you ever buy this? And we saw a diamond in the rough, yeah. right? We saw an awesome community serving people in the workforce in place rent when we bought it or around $600 a month. I'm like, you can't find anything in the Seattle market for even, you know, twice that amount. I mean, good yes. luck finding an apartment for 1200, 1500, you're not going to find. Yeah, yeah. So any workforce housing, $600 a month is, is incredible. Right. And this place just needed love and needed attention. So we bought the deal. We showed up, we paved the roads, we installed new street lighting, we built a community garden, we landscaped it. We helped the residents clean up their junk. And we met with all the residents and we had meetings in English and Spanish. And we said, Hey, we're doing our part to improve the community. And we also need you to do your part to clean yeah. up your houses, paint your houses. And so together we've cleaned that place up. We made a community. Our residents are really proud to call home. Um, you know, we bought it for three and a quarter million in 2017. Three years later in 2020, we refinanced at a five and a half million dollar valuation. Mm-hmm. So value went up around 70% okay. based on the work we did there, both in improving the aesthetics. And we did raise the operating income as well um, okay. by um, passing through uh, the water bills to the tenants, mm-hmm. uh, raising rents, reducing expenses. Um, and so it's been a win for us, it's been a win for our investors, and it's been a win for our residents. Good. And then so the 3.25 million, that total cost <laughs> of it. Now, is it like um, like a 20% down payment when you're financing from the bank? Is it typically like that? Yeah. So yeah, typically banks will lend to us at around 70% loan to value on these okay. commercial mortgages. So we're typically putting around 30% down in equity. Okay. 30%. And this is where like your fund comes into place, right? Like you have limited partners. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So okay. we raise money from individual investors mm-hmm. to go buy these parks. And so our investors are putting in the equity. Our, our lender will put in the debt. Yep. And typically once we create value and we refinance, or then, you know, giving cash out refinancing proceeds back to our investors. Got it. And then are the investors also earning like a cash on cash return from the monthly rent yes. that's coming in? Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. okay. So, nice. so, so we're kind of weird among investors. Most real estate private equity investors want to hold for, you know, five years mm-hmm. or seven years, maybe 10 years and do a flip. Yeah. And kind of, um, our strategy is long-term hold. Mm-hmm. Like we want to hold these assets for decades. We yes. think that's the best way to make money in real estate. And my observation, that's how smart families have made money in real estate forever. Yeah. And the idea of selling after five or 10 years just seems wacky to me. Mm-hmm. So we buy assets, we improve them, we hold them for decades. We give kind of quarterly cash distribution to our investors from operations, right? Cash flow from, from the rents. Mm-hmm. And then Every few years, we do a cash out refinancing and give additional capital back to investors. Got it. Okay. And then do you think that like, so what's your opinion on like multifamily? This might be a big question, but like, what's your opinion? Like what, what's it, what are the differences you see between multifamily and mobile home parks where multifamily can't do what mobile home parks does? It's a great question. So <laughs> first of all, let me, let me start off by saying, I'm not going to hate on multifamily, yeah. right? Multifamily is great and it serves a really important market need and i myself have invested in multifamily deals i think multifamily is great mm-hmm. um but just to draw the distinction so i think there are a few ways that mobile parks are different and better number mm-hmm. one our residents are homeowners that means our residents are actually building home equity 
So it helps people who might be at the lower end of the economic spectrum actually build wealth. Mm-hmm. So I think from a social impact perspective, what we do is really important. Number two, because our residents are homeowners, we have very stable tenants and very stable cash flow. So like I would argue that mobile home parks are safer and we have more stable recession resistant cash flow than even than apartment buildings. Number three, we have lower operating expense mm-hmm. and less headache because we don't have to deal with changing light bulbs or plunging toilets, right? The inside of our units mm-hmm. belong to our residents. They own their own home. They are in charge of all the interior maintenance. Um, if a tenant moves, we don't have to turn a unit over, right? They're, if a tenant moves, they're selling their home to somebody else who buys it and we're not involved with the interior of their unit. Mm-hmm. Um, finally, number four, tax benefits. Yeah. Mobile home parks are special and we get a lot of bonus depreciation in our asset class. So typically we're able to depreciate anywhere between 50 to 80% of our purchase price in the year that we buy the asset. Um, and so I can go to a longer explanation of that if you kind of want a more technical explanation of how the depreciation works. But the, the high level takeaway is that for every dollar you put into a mobile home park deal, as an investor, if you're putting in an equity dollar, we're probably giving you between $1.50 to $2 of tax loss passed through in your K-1 in the first year of the deal. So that applies directly against your other passive income. If you have other passive income, mm-hmm. that will directly reduce your tax bill. Okay, you read my mind because after you mentioned the benefits of mobile home parks, I was going to ask you what are the tax advantages to, uh, <laughs> so you read my mind. Yeah. So there are, so there are a lot of folks who have traditionally invested in multifamily mm-hmm. and now they're buying mobile home parks because the tax advantages are so good. Got okay. So for every dollar invested as equity, you can get between like 1.5 and $2 of loss against your uh, passive income. Exactly. Now, exactly. now what if you're um, uh, technically a real estate professional? Could you yes. get a loss against your active income? So that is a gray area. Uh-huh. People need to kind of get their own tax advice and legal advice on. Yes, we have okay. some investors who are technically real estate professionals who claim this tax loss against their ordinary income yeah. and others don't. And I don't want to opine on it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I yeah, talked to your tax professional for sure. Yeah. Um, and, and speaking of um, legal, so you're an attorney, right? Technically I am. <laughs> I went to law school. I'm a member of the California bar, uh-huh. uh, but I can tell you, I, I definitely like being a real estate investor a lot more than being a lawyer. Okay. So, and I never really practiced law, to be honest. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, do you do you think like your legal knowledge has a, has helped you a lot in your real estate investing business? Yes and no. <laughs> so I mean, I could look. I can make an argument and say, yeah, I'm so grateful I went to law school. I learned how to think in a structured way, and it helps uh-huh. me with reading contracts. It's kind of true. Um, but if someone out there in the audience is wondering, should I go to law school in order to become a real estate investor? Yeah. The answer. Definitely do not do that. <laughs> do not do yeah. that. Just, yeah. If you want to be a real estate investor, go do a real estate deal. Yeah. And yes. it could be a tiny real estate deal, man. Like go find a, a crappy single family house for $150,000 that you need to turn around and go get a bank loan to buy it. Mm-hmm. And if you need to raise 30,000 in equity for your down payment, go raise it from friends and family and everybody you know. Yeah. And if you don't know rich people, then set up a table in front of safe, it's right in the grocery store with a poster in front saying you're raising money for your deal and go raise the money. 
Absolutely, yeah. But that's what I believe. And you go do a deal and that's how you learn. And if you do well, if you like it, you do the next deal and the next deal, that's how you become a real estate investor. And so like I, everything happens for a reason. I'm grateful for the path I took, but mm -hmm. if I had a rewind button, I'd go back and start, I'd start investing in real estate 10 years earlier. <laughs> I love it. And I would just, I would have learned more faster. I would have built the team faster. I would have kind of learned some of the hard lessons faster if mm -hmm. I'd started yeah, definitely. I've interviewed, interviewed a lot of real estate investors and general partners and limited partners and read a lot of books on real estate. And I think like the ultimate thing that comes down to it is just doing it. Like there's only so much um, knowledge you can get before you do it until you actually do it. Like, so like just go out, do it, whether it's single family, whether it's being a limited partner, whether it's um, just being involved in real estate, because the lessons will come, right? Like the lessons will come after you take action. Exactly. hundred percent. And I mentioned this earlier, but mm -hmm. The first mobile embark we deal we did, it was a hundred thousand dollar purchase price for twenty units. F Five thousand dollars a door. This is a deeply distressed property. It was a tiny property. It was in a bad market uh, in Horseheads, New York. Sorry if any of your listeners are in Horseheads, New York. Nothing personal against Horseheads. Just um, low median income, low population growth, low demand. Okay, we bought it at, from an auction. Because the guy didn't pay his property taxes, it got taken back. Um, so we bought the small, deeply distressed property. And the point is, like, we're not snobs. You got to start somewhere. Go find a deal, yeah. right? And work hard. And we rolled our sleeves up, but we got in there. We paved the roads and fixed people's furnaces and got to know our residents and got them a new leases. And that's how you learn the business, right? And some people will do that and they'll figure out, hey, this isn't for me. Yeah. That's fine. Nothing wrong with that. But the only way you figure out, if you're going to like this and if you're good at it is you got to do a deal. And, and I really recommend start small. Like mm -hmm. for us starting with that hundred thousand dollar deal was the perfect blessing mm -hmm. is, is exactly the right way to learn. That's what gave us the experience and the confidence to build up to $20 million deals that we're doing now. So what's your guys' goal? Like, where do you want to, where do you want to get to? Like, for example, like in five years, as far as assets on assets under management. Um, I think a billion dollars in mm -hmm. AUM, a very reasonable target. Mm -hmm. um, it's funny, when I started, I had a much lower aspiration. I said, let's get to $100 million in assets, mm -hmm. and that will you know, throw off a steady amount of cash flow, which can support our operating team and give my partner and I some passive income. So at that point, you know, if we feel like it's enough, then we can pivot. And, in reality, what I've learned is the bigger you get, the easier it gets. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. There's no reason for us to stop growing. At this point, we're growing. We have momentum. We have an awesome team. And the more assets we have, the more income we have coming in, it means we can hire, hire talent people. Mm -hmm. And bring it, for example, I just hired an amazing chief operating officer from one of my best competitors. And he is expensive, but amazing. I totally... Yeah. Totally expanding the scope of what we can do. And I sleep way better at night knowing that he's here. And we also just hired a director of construction, right? That's a specialized skill set. We now have enough money coming in to have this guy and he can oversee all of our capital projects. It's like the bigger we get, the more people we can hire, the better we get. And so to me, I see a lot of value in scale and I want to keep growing. Plus, I think to add to your point, like from the investor standpoint, uh, I'm going to want to invest in a deal with somebody who has more who's done more work, right? More, more real estate deals, who has more in AUM and assets under management. Um, is that true? Do you see that, that there's a correlation between how much you could raise and then how much attraction you can get? 
Yeah, I think so. People want to see track record for yeah, sure. Yeah. And I think like we're raising our second fund right now and um, people like seeing a second fund, yeah. right? I was a little hesitant about the first fund. Oh, it's your first fund. And, hey, I'm the same person now who I was a year ago, but now it's my second fund and I know more, right? Yeah, people, yeah. Are, people are less hesitant. Awesome, man. Well, how can, how can listeners connect with you and learn more about you? Oh, I love that question. Thank you. <laughs> uh, if anybody's interested, check out threepillarcommunities.com. So it's three spelled out, T-H-R-E-E, pillarcommunities.com. And you can learn more about our team, our strategy, our track record. If you're an accredited investor, you can find out how to invest. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, check us out. We've got lots of educational information on there. Okay. And is it only open to accredited investors? Our current fund is only open to accredited investors. But okay. if people are not accredited, they're still welcome to sign up for our email list. Yeah. Um, keep in touch. They'll learn what we're doing. They'll see updates about our strategy. And over time, if they become accredited, then they'll be welcome to invest. Okay. okay, awesome. Well, thanks, Daniel. Thanks for joining us. I'm looking forward to having you back on the show and reconnecting with you in the future. Thank you for having me. This was great. To learn more about what we do and how we can help you grow more wealth, please visit www.finassetprotection.com. That's F-I-N, assetprotection.com. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.